brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello, I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. This week we're asking whether digital and cryptocurrencies are the global future of money or an all too volatile and misunderstood investment destined to lose the world billions of dollars. I spoke to Leif Kalaf, financial advisor at stockbrokers AJ Bell, to get his explanation of exactly what a cryptocurrency is and whether or not it's something we should be embracing. There are a number of cryptocurrencies uh, on the market. I mean, the, the basic premises of what we're talking about is a, a digital currency uh, created by blockchain technology. Uh, so, you know, the most famous one, of course, is, is, is Bitcoin, um, which is mined. Computers solve puzzles, and by doing so, they earn um, 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 Bitcoins, which, um, you know, have, have risen to you know, very high prices. You know, they seem to be reaching record high prices almost every week at, at the moment. So, so I think, yes, there is, there is cause to what? be wary um, of, 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 of these assets for private investors. Um, I think probably a lot of people are looking at the huge price gains that we've seen in some of these cryptocurrencies, and they're thinking that this, this market is only going in one direction. Well, you know, it might continue to rise, but we have to acknowledge that there's a very big downside risk as well. Um, and we have seen in the past very big price falls. Exactly. Just how cautious should we be? Because you talked about massive rises, but there's always that big element of risk, especially when you don't fully understand what's going on. So uh, is, is Bitcoin a risky venture? Uh, it, it is, yeah. You just need to look at the price volatility to tell that. Um, you know, I'll quote Warren Buffett here, don't invest in something that you don't understand. You know, that's kind of one of the basic tenets of, of investing. Uh, I'd also point to what the financial regulator in the UK said, which is don't invest any money in cryptocurrency that you're not prepared to lose. And that's really the bottom line, is that you might actually do very well for it. The, 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 the kind of future course of these cryptocurrencies is very unpredictable, which is acknowledged by even you know fairly bullish um, investors like Tesla. Cryptocurrency, blockchains, blockchains should be completely safe, shouldn't they? But many people don't seem to trust the cryptocurrency world. Why is that? Well, I think there's probably a number of reasons. One we've touched on is that they don't perhaps fully understand it. And if you don't understand something, then it's natural to be um, slightly you know, kind of sceptical about it. Um, obviously, there kind of have been, um, you know, issues um, with kind of, you know, Bitcoin being so anonymous linked to, um, you know, issues in terms of money laundering and obviously criminal activity. Um, so that's, that's, that's one reason. But, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, at the same time, we've got central banks, you know, manipulating, you know, traditional currencies. And so there is, you know, one um, kind of anti-establishment uh, point of view, which is that actually Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not subject to those manipulations. So, in, you know, in some, some ways, they've got more integrity. Elon Musk of Tesla has invested one and a half billion dollars in Bitcoin. I mean, he must know what he's doing, doesn't he? Well, I mean, you know, he's got a great track record, but, you know, uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, 
he's he's able to to kind of lose a penny or two if if, he, if if it comes to that. Whereas you know, for a lot of people, that's that's not the case. And, and yes, that you know, Tesla have invested some portion of their cash pile into Bitcoin. But you know, if you read the nitty gritty of their uh, regulatory statement, even they are pointing to some of the risks involved um, in cryptocurrency. You know, the fact that it might not ultimately um, be be taken up by um, you know, investors as, as, as a source, as a, as, a, as a means of exchange by institutions, the fact that there, there are risks to the technology in terms of, um, you know, hacking, in terms of obsolescence, uh, and also that we don't know yet what entirely the regulatory framework of cryptocurrency is going to be, is going, to be going forward. Regulators might start to take a, a sterner look at this area. So there are lots of risks around. And, and even, even some, you know, kind of, you know, a company that's clearly as positive as Tesla is on, on the future of the cryptocurrency is pointing out those risks. Is it winning acceptability elsewhere too? Because Mastercard and Mellon, they're now getting interested, aren't they? I guess the thing that I always come back to is, is, is realistically, given how volatile something like Bitcoin is, how can it be used in, 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 the, in the real economy? I mean, if you could just consider a situation where if someone, you know, if your employer offered to, to pay you a Bitcoin a year, well, at the moment you'd be earning $50,000 or so a year. What are you going to be earning next year? Well, we don't know. It could be $100,000. You could be doing really well. Or, you know, you could be earning $10,000. You know, is that some, a risk that you'd be willing to take? Well, pretty, I'm pretty sure most people would say, no, it's not. Uh, and so just kind of actually, you know, there's a question of how much of this is, yes, the, the payments are superficially being made in Bitcoin, but then being translated into other currencies. And how much is, is this actually part um, of, of the real economy. And I think it's still quite a long way off being part of, of the real economy and being used, as I say, as a medium of exchange. And I'd probably also highlight just one other kind of, you know, emerging risk, which I think is perhaps not uh, fully appreciated as yet. Some interesting research that we've had very recently from Cambridge University showing that the amount of energy, electricity that is is is, is used, the amount of electricity used by um, um, Bitcoin mining um, is equivalent to the same amount used by Argentina. Uh, and in a world which is increasingly concerned about the uh, environment uh, and ESG um, principles, you do have to question where, whether at some point um, investors are going to start thinking, well, hang on a minute, is this actually, does this actually, you know, can conform with our own kind of ethical objectives? So, um, you know, a, another risk there to, to, to consider as well. China, of course, is pushing ahead with its digital currency, although it's one unlike other cryptocurrencies that you can actually pay for things with. Is that a more likely future for these kind of currencies? Well, well potentially, yeah. And, and China's not the only, the only um, uh, central bank that, you know, kind of is looking, looking at this area. Um, but I guess we, we, again, just have to go back to the kind of function of what people use money for and how they use money. And it is kind of buy goods as a medium of exchange. You get paid to pay your bills. Um, and the reality is that, you know, money is pretty digital already. Um, you know, the money that you hold in your bank account, you look at it on, online on your mobile app, you transfer it using your mobile app. So you have to consider what additional, um, you know, flexibility um, something like a digital currency, kind of a you know cryptocurrency, gives over and above, uh, and increasingly because money itself has become so digitalized, that margin is getting kind of ever thinner. So we already live in a very digitalized monetary world. Leif Kalaf, 
a financial analyst at Stockbrokers, AJ Bell. Many thanks for joining us on the agenda. Pleasure. So, as we've heard, China is ahead of the game when it comes to creating a national, entirely digital blockchain-based currency. But how exactly does it work? And what does it all mean for the global economy? Well, here to explain more is Joe Yong, Assistant General Manager at Chinwan Bank in Chengdu, in Sichuan province. Um, Joe, how does China's digital currency actually work? From a very general point of view, actually, the system, you can see the system is a two-tier system. Uh, tier one actually is a central bank, which is called the People's Bank of China, PBOC. So PBOC actually centrally, centrally manages the, uh, the, the, the whole system. The system actually uh, uh, issues the currency uh, uh, doing all the daily operations. Uh, but PBOC does not face the end user directly. So, so PBOC will only issue the, 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 the digital currency to the commercial banks. Then the commercial banks will issue the digital currency to the end users through a digital wallet. So, so that, that's why it's called a, a two-tier system. So PBOC will face the commercial banks uh, only. Then the commercial banks will face the end users through a digital wallet. But the system is centrally managed. Do you hope uh, that this will set a standard um, for global digital currencies going forward? I uh, personally, I hope so. But I think the question is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is actually, uh, we have to answer a few questions when we, uh, when we are talking about the global standard, because every market is different. Every, uh, the, 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 the law is different. The technology is different. The market situation is different. Actually, for every country, I think, you, I think uh, there are three basic questions you have to answer when, 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 we, when, when you are going to the uh, digital currency. First is that, is this currency going to be a legal currency or it's a commercial entity based currency. That means it's something like uh, Libra. This, 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 is, this is number one. Number two is that is, it, is this uh, digital currency uh, positioned to uh, replace the retail market or the wholesale, wholesale market? That's number two. Number three is that uh, is it going to be DLT based? It's not a must. I think, I think for each country, for every country, these three questions are different. I think the answer is different. And also the solution will be different. What about commercial yeah. interests in China? How have they reacted to this? Uh, from the bank's point of view, we can take advantage of this, uh, this opportunity to, to, uh, to get, get into the retail payment sector. The second is uh, from the, uh, the, the, the digital payment uh, point of view, for example, Alipay or uh, WeChat Pay. I think the digital currency may have some effect on them because, uh, because I think in the future, uh, Alipay, WeChat Pay or Union Pay and also the digital wallet will be, will, will be standard, uh, standard side by side and uh, complete with, with, with each other. So essentially, if you boil it all down, what is the one big advantage of a digital currency over what the current real, real currency in, in China? First is that if you compare the digital currency to the, uh, uh, to the paper currency, there are a lot of advantages. It's faster, it's cheaper, and it's uh, transparent, and it's, uh, it's more fit to the digital, digital ecosystem. But if you compare this uh, uh, digital currency to the current digital payment ecosystem, it's slightly more complex. Because uh, 
because uh, the 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 so-called the, the digital payment actually they are account based. That means that means their money actually is not M0, it's M1 and M2. M1 and M2 actually is not backed, are not backed by the government. It's not legal currency. It's it's backed by the commercial entities. But the commercial entities uh, 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 are not as uh, so good as uh, as a central bank. So so if we if we compare com- compare the, the, the uh, digital currency to M1 and M2, it's slightly more complex. But we're not we're not going to uh, uh, replace uh, uh, the digital world, digital payment like AliPay or WeChat Pay with uh, digital currency because we uh, it's already world class and it's okay. working quite well. And okay. uh, we have to protect the, our investment. And, and and lastly, I mean, how does this benefit shoppers? How does this benefit the ordinary man and woman on the street? What do they get out of this? I think the one of the key advantages of digital currency is that you can you can you can make a payment even if there is no internet. As that means you can you can directly uh, make payment from one phone to another phone. Uh, uh, that's one. Uh, that, another one is uh, second is uh, even if you do do not have a deposit account, you can still open a digital wallet as as long as you have a phone or you have your your, your ID card. I think, I think from the inclusive finance point of view, uh, digital currency has a lot of ad- advantages. But but going forward, because it will be market driven, so which one will be better? We don't know. Zhou Yong, Assistant General Manager at Chinwang Bank in Chengdu in Sichuan Province. Thanks for joining us here on the agenda. As we've heard, cryptocurrencies are a relatively new invention and one many people don't really understand. So what does the future hold for them? Are these new digital currencies in need of tighter regulation? And what impact has the changing financial world in the midst of the pandemic had on their adoption? Here with me now to delve into those and answer many other questions are Dr. Iwa Salami, Senior Lecturer in Financial Law and Regulation at the University of East London, and Gavin Brown. And Gavin is Associate Professor in Financial Technology at the University of Liverpool. Dr. Salami, let's start with you. You've said the current pandemic has helped um, Bitcoin leap into the mainstream. How so? So the um, pandemic has had a negative impact on um, various asset classes, not least um, stocks um, and bonds. As a result of this, of course, investors have looked for alternative sources of investments um, to asset classes that haven't been as exposed to the pandemic as um, stocks and bonds, and therefore have resorted to sort of um, crypto assets. And um, we've seen both retail and institutional investors being quite interested in this space. Um, We've seen the likes of um, institutional investors that were slightly sceptical about the space sort of um, investing in it, such as, for example, Rufa um, Investment Company. Uh, We've seen um, BlackRock, uh, the private equity firm. We've seen other financial institutions, um, particularly those involved in the payment space, such as uh, PayPal and Square, uh, making huge investments, um, particularly in Bitcoin. So, yes, these adoptions by mainstream um, uh, uh, institutional investors, as well as uh, financial institutions involved in the payment space, has, has, if you like, thrust Bitcoin into the um, uh, mainstream. Okay, uh, and Gavin, would you, would you agree that Bitcoin is heading towards the mainstream because of the pandemic? 
I guess to some extent it depends on uh, on how we define mainstream, but it's certainly becoming more prevalent and uh, and is sort of raising more awareness across across a bigger proportion of the population. Um, I think another key thing to think about is uh, is central bank policy and monetary policy here. So what we've seen in this kind of you know record low interest rates that we've got at the moment, we've got the Bank of England consulting on negative interest rates, and we're we're in a crisis now, which is obviously a magnitude of order more than the financial crisis of about a year ago in 0709. And generally speaking, the central banks of the world are resorting to quantitative easing, so effectively expanding the money supply to be able to, to, to sort of buy their way out of the crisis. And obviously the problem with that is that it debases or devalues your currency, which means then that suddenly if, if that starts to occur quite rapidly and in, increasingly is the case that that is happening on a global basis, people will then start to looking for more scarce assets. And traditionally they would look towards assets such as gold, etc. But Bitcoin does have this unique feature that its, that its supply side is fixed and known and beyond the reach and influence of politicians and central banks, which I think is, is something that certainly makes it appealing. You mentioned, Gavin, the Bank of England. The Bank of England governor has said that uh, even though Bitcoin hit an all-time high this year, uh, the Bank of England governor is saying it's unlikely to work as payment in the long term. And he also said that um, don't put money in you can't afford to lose. Uh, That's not exactly validation of cryptocurrency, is it? It's not, no, but I think to some extent we need to be be careful about what we're thinking here. So, so that, that kind of argument is true, but it's based really on capacity. So if you look at Bitcoin and similar decentralized currencies, as they're known, um, Bitcoin in particular can process about seven transactions per second. And that compares to something like Visa, which can do sort of 20 to 30,000 transactions per second. So it's quite true that you know a, a vehicle or a currency such as Bitcoin um, certainly cannot replace our existing monetary systems at the moment, nor the payment systems either. However, you know, if I was to take you back 100 years or so and show you the Wright brothers and their attempts at aviation and tell you that it's going to change the world and international travel, you wouldn't necessarily see what it could become. And I think the interesting thing with Bitcoin is that it's not just a proof of concept. It's a, it's a concept which has been working. Dr. Salome, one of the key problems with cryptocurrencies uh, is regarded as regulation or rather the lack of regulation. How do you think we should be regulating cryptocurrencies? Okay, so the usually the the rationale for regulation is particularly this in these types of assets is primarily investor protection, market integrity, to have a, that is to have a transparent and fair market, and and to ensure that you know the these types of assets don't facilitate financial instability i.e. the preservation of systemic risk. And the thing is, if we do not begin to, I mean, the way the, the, these assets are operating, they're operating pretty much as, as, you know, financial assets. And therefore, if we don't regulate them, what we're really putting ourselves out there for is that there, there will be risks to investors, there will be potential um, market manipulation happening through the lack of regulation of the space or in the space, there would also be a potential of um, uh, financial instability, that risk that we're trying to avoid. Gavin, isn't one problem possibly that the more regulation that you introduce, the more cryptocurrencies start to feel like more like central bank regulated currencies? In other words, could regulation kill the currencies? In my view, probably not. Um, And the reason for that is that a lot of these digital assets or crypto assets, as we might call them, such as Bitcoin, are largely beyond the reaches of regulation. 
in terms of their substance. And the reason for that is that, you know, Bitcoin isn't um, isn't a listed company, doesn't have a board of directors, doesn't have a governance structure, you know, it doesn't have any tax domicile. It, it's not a it's not a physical or even normal organization as we would come to know it. So to actually regulate a lot of these assets is not necessarily impossible, but it's certainly beyond the reach of our existing kind of structures in terms of how we operate in terms of regulation and law, which I'm sure Dr. Salami has more to say on on, on than I. Um, but I think the other thing that we you know we we almost need to bear in mind as well with this is that there's really a three-way competition at the moment for the future of money. We've got decentralized currencies such as cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, etc. We've also got central bank digital currencies, which is really the nation states recognizing this external threat and starting to come up with their own versions of these currencies to try and almost, you know, rather than fighting and regulating and attempting to frustrate these technologies, why not introduce a more mainstream technology which is more conducive to your citizenship? and hopefully that will drive adoption and keep the threat of something like Bitcoin away. And then finally, we've got the idea of corporate currencies. So this would be the idea of people like Facebook and JP Morgan already either having launched or planning to launch their own currencies. So the future of money is certainly very exciting at the moment and is very much up for grabs in terms of what the future might hold. And um, Gavin, where do you think the crypto or digital currencies are heading now in the medium to long term? I think medium to long term, they're probably a, a good bet, you know, in terms of their speculative uh, ability. You know, uh, Dr. Salami was talking there about, you know, the kind of utility that you get or don't get from some of these currencies. But, you know, at the moment that it is starting to shake things up, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a Sri Lankan national working at the US um, and sending money back home, you may have expected to pay up to 20 percent in transaction fees and maybe spend three days waiting for that money to clear and settle. So although the currencies such as Bitcoin are highly volatile and can sometimes be expensive, to certain people in certain economies, it can actually be preferable to their current functional money. Uh, Dr. Salami, uh, a gentleman called Craig Wright, who's credited and who claims to have invented Bitcoin, um, says, I invented Bitcoin, now it's a Ponzi scheme. He says he was meant to be a success successor to cash, not a tool of speculation. What do you say to that? So investigations um, are on the way uh, by the New York um, Attorney General's office, sort of looking at the connections, for example, with uh, Tether and Bitfinex and how that sort of has or continues to impact on the price of um, Bitcoin. So there are quite a few um, issues around really what has, you know, come off or come out, if you like, of um, Bitcoin in itself. Now, I have to say that the technology around it, um, i.e. distributed ledger technology, the blockchain, um, is a good thing and, and isn't problematic. And so we're seeing some, some quite innovative ideas that's happening on the Ethereum network, for example, and seeing things like decentralized finance, which uh, Gavin you know, was talking about, uh, and the things around uh, the, the alternative financial services being built um, on, on those types of platforms that really highlight the, the, right. the direction, if you like, of okay. the future of finance. So there's some good things coming out from um, that have resulted, if you like, from the launch of Bitcoin. Bitcoin in itself, there are still issues that I feel would need to be um, addressed and looked at um, moving forward. And I think many would agree with you. Dr. Salome and Gavin Brown, thank you both for joining us on the agenda. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Agenda podcast. Next week, I'll be asking, what is the future of work? Is working from home here to stay? Or, as the head of Goldman Sachs put it, simply an aberration? 
Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. You can also find us on CGTN Europe Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. And we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. Until next week, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.